Welcome back to the Third Millennium Church Podcast. This is a very special episode because I'm on location at Hatchery LA uh, with its director, Maria French. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we're in beautiful uh, downtown Fullerton, California, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's really uh, it's really neat. And you might be thinking, what is Hatchery LA? And I think that's a very good place to start the show. <laughs> Maria, tell us a little bit um, about Hatchery LA, and we'd love to hear about how you got connected in. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so officially, uh, we are an incubator for spiritual entrepreneurs, but basically we're fostering innovation for church, ministry, faith-based organizations, um, and helping people sort of move their ministries uh, and their callings, basically, into the future, into the 21st century. So we provide a lot of training, a lot of education and curricula around some of those things. Um, in terms of how I got connected with Hatchery LA, I have been on staff full-time for the past year and a half, but about four and a half years ago when Hatchery first launched, I was doing some innovative work um, at a seminary in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, mm. um, and I got connected um, with Hatchery and was asked to do a little bit of independent contract work with them and help them get launched um, and just kind of put our heads together to, uh, yeah, think over uh some of what they were doing. And so I've just kind of kept my eye on them and then uh, came on September of 17. And here I am. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So spiritual entrepreneurship yeah. incubator. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually one of like three or four uh, organizations in the country that are claiming incubator uh, incubatorship for spiritual entrepreneurship. Okay. Uh, and we all do it a little bit differently. And we have great relationships with those incubators and organizations. And yeah, we're all trying to sort of look to the future, asking those questions. What is the future of faith, of church, of Christianity, um, you know, in particular in the West? So, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So we got connected at the Cultivate Conference in mm-hmm. San Diego. Mm-hmm. We had a little conversation out on the church steps. Yeah. And I was like, this needs to be on my podcast because <laughs> the future of the church is exactly what we talk about. Yeah. So tell me a little bit how somebody might um, kind of get connected to what you're doing. Um, not so much find out about you, but uh, how you would walk them through a process of thinking about uh, what, their, what their ministry or what their, um, uh, I don't know, I guess entrepreneurial idea? How do you pull that out of them and how do you help them think about what that looks like in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Well, right now what we do, we do in three different phases. Um, the third phase is still being uh, written and has not been launched yet. Um, the the first phase, which is our 12-week course, it's a certificate in spiritual entrepreneurship. And it's basically an introduction to this discipline, an introduction to how to apply innovative principles to things like theology and engaging God and community and church. Um, and so that's sort of like the gateway for working with us in any and every capacity, because what it does is it gets everybody on the same page with some shared language. And I mean, we just had a whole conversation before we started Mm -hmm. the podcast of, you know, um, what church looks like right now, some of the issues and challenges the church is facing at large. Um, Obviously, there's growth decline, there's money decline, there's interest decline. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think everybody, especially those in ministry, pastors and and so on, are feeling the the tension of this, but they can't always articulate it. And so uh, this course is sort of a crash course in um, just kind of getting up to speed with how to talk about this stuff, how to articulate it. Um, we take a look at um, the shifting religious landscapes in the U.S. We take a look at the new cultural context, the new economic realities, what's happening with money, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the materiality of money, the philosophy of money. Um, you know, we take a look at um, the new technological horizons and how uh 
growth in technology is, you know, all of these things are enacting upon the landscapes of Christianity. And we don't always know what it does to it, <laughs> but we can just feel what it's doing to it. And so we sort of do what we call a redrawing the map and getting a lay of the land. Um, and it's the sense of, you know, we're not quite in Kansas anymore and why mm -hmm. not? And so we do some education on that. And then we move to um, what we call innovative theology, which isn't a specific theological framework, but it is about challenging the current theological constructs that you hold um, and asking really critical questions of, is this the right way to talk about God in my community? Yeah. Um, you know, so many times, uh, you know, in ministering in the church, we're like, okay, we have to be innovative. We have to do something new. Um, and so we change the models. Um, and the models are probably really cool and hip and up to date and attractive and interesting, but we're dragging these old, tired notions of God into the right. future that people are just no longer resonating with and that don't even make sense. And we're using language that doesn't even make sense. That was, you know, born in another time and culture and social location that arose out of those particular needs. Right. And we don't realize that we need to have those things evolve. Um, and it's just that whole gospel situation of, you know, pouring, uh, you know, the new wine into old wines, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it all breaks um, and it all gets ruined. And so uh, within spiritual entrepreneurship at Hatchrele, we say it takes two things, innovative theology and innovative methodology. And that's the next part of the course. We, we take a closer look at human-centered design. It's the methodology that we've chosen that we think best fits this work, which is um, problem solving that starts with a human perspective. It involves um, ideation and imagination and implementation and doing the real work to get in the communities and do the research to identify a basic first primal need that you can build some spiritual transformation around and what it looks to prototype what it looks like to prototype some of that stuff. Um, but doing design thinking on its own, and we even do a little bit with lean canvas and lean methodology, doing those things on its own is just entrepreneurship or it's just social entrepreneurship. The thing for us that makes it spiritual is having it in dialogue with innovative theology and seeing how those things continue on um, and shape each other um, that will you know, hopefully uh, be meeting some spiritual needs in your community. Um, and then finally, we end that course with a look into the future. But it really is, like I said, kind of this introduction to this world of um, just these shifting horizons that are changing. Mm. So then our second um, phase, phase two, is a coaching and training program that our um, those who have graduated and have been certified um, can move on to. Um, it's a five-month coaching and training program in which we come alongside teams and help them develop what we have called a minimum viable benefit, mm. which is what I was talking about earlier, um, identifying that first basic primal need in your community, in your congregation, and the people you're trying to serve, and then building you know, measured uh, spiritual transformation around that need with limited risk because we've done the work to mm -hmm. see, um, you know, what the community is needing and is asking for. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And that's, that's <laughs> really amazing. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think, wow, like, um, seminaries aren't offering things like this. Yes, and, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want someone to say, Hey, I yeah. just took a course like this, but sure. From my perspective, you know, one of the struggles that I have with, um, I've worked with a lot of young adults is sending them to seminary if they want to, I mean, obviously if they want to go into ministry, that, mm -hmm. that's a good route, or even mm -hmm. a Christian college. And it's like, uh, the day you walk in, things are kind of already out of date. You yeah, know? And absolutely. That worries me. And I, and I look at um, courses that Christian colleges that I respect are offering. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where's like the innovative courses in ministry? Where's the digital media ministry courses? Where's the... Um, 
courses that allow you to really engage in the culture around yeah. us as opposed to continue to learn from, you know, 100-year-old dead theologians that come from one specific yeah. European background, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you're you're offering that. Do you... Um, uh, okay, so my next question is, mm-hmm. is, is do a lot of the people and pastors and, and people participating in this, do they have an idea of what they'd like to do when it comes to spiritual entrepreneurship? Or are they like, I just want to be... Um, uh, more useful in my community. Mm-hmm. I see the decline mm-hmm. in my um, kind of profession or in, in my specific um, kind of context, and I want to find a way to to reach my community and reach the culture. Or are you helping them, you know, come up with something they've already thought of, or do their own? Yeah, great question. If you don't mind, can I just say a little something about your commentary on seminaries? Yes, let's talk about that. Okay, thank you. And then we'll answer the next one. Um, the seminary conversation is one that is of particular interest to me. Um, I'm on my third seminary degree. Um, okay. <laughs> not unsuccessfully, I should say. I don't want it to sound like I <laughs> attempted twice and didn't yeah, finish. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing my demon um, at the moment, and I, I have two MAs from two different seminaries. And, what are they? Can I ask? Um, yeah, I have an MA in Christian thought and an MA in religion and theology, and mm-hmm. I'm currently doing my doctor of ministry um, in Cambridge, okay. um, which is really fun because I get to travel to the yeah, UK twice cool. a year and study. But um, uh, the the entirety of my um, adult career have, has been in seminary education. Hmm. And so I've really gotten a front seat to some of these discussions. And it's, it's really difficult. I have a lot of amazing friends who are in seminary education and who are professors. And um, I've, I've, you know, been an adjunct professor before. I've done administration. I've kind of done the gamut, really. Um, and the problem is, it's not that we don't have forward-thinking, innovative people in seminaries, although I would argue that they may be uh, slightly, you know, a minority. Um, it's just that seminaries are not set up to be nimble enough to mm-hmm. change at the pace that they need to. Um, and, and change has always been a thing. It's it's not like culture has never changed or moved forward and we've never had to like rethink how we're going to address the needs. The problem is in the 21st century uh, now, um, things are changing at an unprecedented rate faster than ever before. So right. that's really the issue that we're dealing with. And, you know, with seminaries, I mean, you have to jump through so many hoops with ATS. You know, it's it's the accrediting body for all seminaries, Association of Theological Schools, and you know, MDivs and MAs need to be so many credits, and you need this many, um, you know, base courses and this many electives, and um, you know, and also people who are you know, uh, educated and for, you know, I guess the future kind of, mm-hmm. uh, some, like some of the topics you were just, they're, they're also few and far between in seminaries. It's not easy right. to find people to, to teach these classes. Um, so I think seminaries are a bit, uh, they're in a bit of a conundrum and they're in a very similar challenging situation as the church at the moment. There is a lot of decline. Right. Uh, so that's, yeah, something that they're, they're going to have to reckon with. Um, I, I think people are looking that when I went back yeah. to school to get my master's, I was really looking for an innovative program. Mm-hmm. And the closest thing I could find there was um, there was one at uh, Bethel Seminary on um, transformational leadership that I thought was pretty innovative. Yes, one of my masters is from Bethel, okay, and yeah. I've worked at Bethel before. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I thought that was fairly innovative. There's a George Fox has a uh, a demon in in semiotics and future studies. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that's so cool. Um, I ended up choosing a master's in strategic communication and leadership, and my focus was on uh, the, kind of the digital platforms and how churches can and are leveraging that and how that's just a continuation of how churches have always leveraged technology, whether it be radio and te- television. Yeah. But I remember, you know, going months and months of looking for programs that were innovative 
And it's almost, I felt like at the end, that that's not what they're offering at mm-hmm. the moment. Yeah. They're not offering innovation. They're offering maybe um, additional theological training. Yeah. And maybe another degree to take a deeper step into uh, your current context of ministry. Yeah. And yet um, uh, finding something innovative that engages the culture was really hard to find. I agree. And, you know, I was at actually um, at Bethel uh, during its sort of pinnacle of uh progressive sort of innovation thinking mm-hmm. and was really able to benefit from some of that. Um, and, and this is no like shame or blame on Bethel because so many seminaries have had to do it um, because of financial crisis. But, you know, they've since re-entrenched um, mm. in, you know, uh, things that they think they know will work best and will be easier to sell. Um, you know, seminaries are, are out there doing the best they can to survive. And so it's not a good time to risk, uh, it seems, for them. Although I think risking mm. would potentially be the answer. Yeah. Oh. And then I read this conversation a lot um, in the context of Christian higher education. My, yeah. wor- my wife works for a Christian university. And and we they kind of, uh, some people in the context, kind of bemoan the decline mm-hmm. of Christian higher ed, and yet you still have schools. Uh, look at Grand Canyon University, that went from you know fifteen hundred to yeah. thirty thousand students yeah. in the same amount of time. The other schools say that they were declining, and I can't tell you the exact reason for that. But when I see their their programs, at least for just traditional education, there are a lot more innovative ways of giving that education. Mm-hmm. The the what they're offering feels to the students like it would in- help them engage their culture, help them get mm-hmm. a job. You know, they are adding probably programs every year, new programs and new degrees. And so it's hard to say that, yeah, I mean, the uh, Christian higher ed is in decline. And yet there's schools who who saw all of their growth within that same amount of time. Yeah. You know, so it's maybe more of an approach than it is specifically just uh, the culture around us. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about that was great. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we could talk about that this whole episode, yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, people want to hear about spiritual entrepreneurship. So, how um, so does somebody have an idea of what that might look like, or do you because it sounds like there's a little bit of both? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like the third phase is helping someone really um, put to words and put to practice the thing that they might want to start. The second phase, yeah. Oh, that can be the second phase, yeah. yeah. So, I'm picturing a, a, a pet. This is to simplize it. Yeah. Uh, a pastor who has um, a side hustle idea, <laughs> right? For sure. uh, not not just bringing his income for himself necessarily, but the yeah. side hustle. Maybe he's a pastor, and yet he sees this need, and he sees that um, he can't necessarily accomplish that within the framework of his of his job and and what he's doing, and he needs a way to to innovatively approach that. Uh, is that kind of what you? the people that you usually connect with? We actually connect with all different types of people. And when we first started this work, obviously, um, we we went through the design process ourselves and the Lean Canvas process ourselves, And we've identified like three demographics or three, you know, identity marker mm-hmm. groups that would respond best to this. And the first group was uh, seminarians, okay. you know, who have graduated from HS. Do you get college credit for no. this? Uh, not yet, but we're working on it. Cool. <laughs> we're working cool. on it. Um, we've got a lot of lot of irons in the fire um, at the moment. But um, so ATS accredited seminaries graduates over the past uh, 10 years who feel like they um, got educated for a certain type of ministry that 
no longer really exists, uh-huh, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the second demographic uh, is our pastors uh, and ministers in transition. So they've been pastoring for like maybe 10 or 20 years, and maybe they are kind of remembering like the golden age of growth mm. in their church, and now they look around and they see like 10 people in their seats, and they're like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, and then the third group is a group we call, um, and other people too, it's not just our phrase, uh, cultural creatives. Okay. You know, people who, mostly millennials, some Gen Xers, um, who have a faith perspective and a faith story, but they're just totally outside of church and outside really any kind of traditional constructs for engaging that faith. Um, but they're, you know, putting their gifts and talents sort of to, to good use, but they, they want to integrate their faith a little bit more. Mm. So those are, we've seen, uh, the three, the three yeah, groups yeah, that yeah. we're usually working with. Um, in terms of someone who has an idea, uh, we, if, if they go through the 12 week course and you know, they want to do the coaching and training phase two with us, we can certainly do that. We tend to do better. Um, I don't want to say better, but it's really designed as a, a team experience. So, mm. um, and a lot of times like we work with smaller churches. So maybe the one paid staff member is the pastor and they're mm-hmm. working with a group of volunteers or lay leaders or whatnot. Um, and we always tell people like when we start, we're going to like start from ground zero. So you may have an idea that you bring to the table, but we need to test that because that just may be your idea. Uh-huh. Um, and it may not actually be, you know, we're, we're so fabulous, you know, in the church and as Christians being like, God said this to me. God spoke uh-huh. this to me and, and I'm going to do this to reach these people. And this is exactly how I'm going to do it. And I know this is my calling. And it's like, there's this mantra in lean methodology and it, it says, um, you know, love your problem, not your solution. And people bring the solution to the table all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, have you ever, have you actually done the work to see if that's a problem? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. have you done the work to see if you're meeting a need? And so we would, you know, in terms of someone bringing a side hustle idea, we would probably help them test it before we developed it. Yeah. 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 yeah that's mm-hmm. good. I mean, and they, you don't know what kind of, of work and prayer and, um, what kind of progress they've made on that. And I think right. it's like, you should just start from scratch every time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the thing we've talked about you and I a lot, yes. the future of the church yes, and yes. kind of, you know, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about uh, how you see uh, that changing. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to bring in Hatchery LA and, and how you see that kind of uh, uh, helping um, not, not just train church leaders, but helping us all understand mm-hmm. what it takes to, um, for lack of a better term, do church uh, in 2019 or 2029. And um, what are some of those key shifts in culture and church that have really uh, made us need this kind of innovation? Yeah. Um, the key shifts in culture and church, um, that that's such a huge question. The, the question of the future is such a huge question. And, you know, I'm always like, well, let's ask the future (laughs) when we get there, um, because we don't know what their needs are going to be. You know, uh, you may ask someone about church in the future, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years from now, and they may say, what's that? Because church has become so decentralized Mm -hmm. and hopefully faith has become such an integrated part and not just a category, um, you know, of of someone's life that is siphoned off from the rest. Um, Somehow along the lines... uh, Christianity has sort of lost its imagination. Mm. Um, and I know uh, as a theologian, as a seminarian, as a practitioner, this idea of imagination has been really hot. It's just been a buzzword and I love it. Um, you know, it, it's been a buzzword for the last 60, 70 years in continental mm. philosophy and hermeneutics too. So it's a good trend to have because um, 
I think that when you ask about the future of the church, people automatically think of like buildings and pastors and pulpits and sermons and worship programming and, and all of that. And I just don't know that that is the future. Maybe it will be, right. but we need to do some work to actually figure that out. Um, there are so many things that are affecting the landscape of Christianity in the U.S. at the moment. It's just insane. Um, I think we need to do a lot of work to to figure that out as well. Um, and that's, again, a little bit of what we're trying to do. Um, there's this group that we've identified for some time now, uh, as many other people have called that that we call the posties anyway. Mm, you mm. know, the the post evangelical, the yeah. post charismatic, the the post Christian. Yeah, uh, and they're Do made they made. Do they know they're being called that? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Um. Uh, and I, you know, I mean, with any luck, we're always post something in our lives, sure. right? We always want to be becoming the next the next thing and building. Um. I'm post a lot of things as well. Um in terms of my faith and, and different faith categories, uh, different Christian categories I've been in in my life. But mm -hmm. it's this whole group that, you know, is saying, I can't really re-entrench in kind of, I can't, I can't get on board with this way of speaking about God and believing in God and interpreting God. Um, and for so long, we've kind of just seen everything, but we've seen belief, we've seen Christianity as a dichotomy, which is a false dichotomy. It's like, either you believe like this and you're a Christian like this, or you can go to the atheist side of the spectrum. Mm, right. And, and you know, these posties are kind of seeing those two choices without always knowing that actually you can transcend that whole spectrum Ask different questions of God entirely, you know, um, live out your, you know, your, your Christian story, like in ways that um, are super meaningful, right. in ways that don't ask you to compromise the integrity of your intellect, your reason, your postmodern sensibilities, and still be true to like the great radical redemptive narrative of the New Testament. Um, but people only see these choices. And so what the posties tend to do is have, you know, they, they do make one of those two choices. They either re-entrench back um, into a faith scenario that they're not on board with and a mm -hmm. theological situation that they're not on board with, but they're finding community, they're finding a sense of strong narrative. Um, and so they re-entrench and replant, or they're like, you know what, I need to check my entire spiritual narrative at the door because, yeah. you know, it's all rubbish and I'm just gonna be atheist or agnostic at best. Right. And I just think that we can do so much better than that. I think we have to. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, religion has always been humanity's mechanism for meaning making. Mm -hmm. um, 20th century uh, theologian uh, Schubert Ogden says in his book on theology, um, uh, when, when posed the question, what is faith? You know, he says, faith is uh, saying and doing that life is actually worth the living of it. Mm. Um, and so if religion has always been about meaning making um, and the, that life is actually worth the living of it, where are we failing? Because there's such a decline right. in religion and Christianity and in, in engaging uh, God. Yeah. So I see a lot. I see um, it sounds hopeful to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I hope yet, so. <laughs> yeah. Yet I see and I'm sure you see this all the time yeah. with with pastors there's a lot of fear right now absolutely uh, in america absolutely and um you know uh, when you first were, were telling me about that i couldn't help but think about um the decline mm -hmm. of the the european churches and how we yeah. in america look at that and go oh, man I, ho I hope we're not like that where yeah. churches are just historical buildings you know yeah. and yet um, plenty of people are saying that that's going to be uh the case in america because that t tends to be maybe the cycle that churches or religious institutions uh, follow and yeah. it's not necessarily something that you can fight or stop uh, and I don't know if that's true I think American um, uh, religion and American um, church and culture has been strong for so long mm -hmm. um, that it's uh, kind of 
uh, unprecedented, maybe. I, I just l- listened to a book by Mark Batterson, uh, mm. and he said that he was given an example of of um, kind of planting seeds. And I didn't know this, but the uh, Assemblies of God Church is the fastest growing church in the history of Christianity. In 100 yeah. years, they went from not existing to 67 million members. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that's that's uh, a lot of legacy, and that's not necessarily something that's going to just go away tomorrow. Right. But um, yet, I'm still hopeful that even though we have this fear, especially those like myself that are in, you know, career ministry, um, hopeful that Christianity is not gone just because our churches are uh, dwindling and our current setup of our institution is changing. That doesn't mean that um, that the gospel still isn't this dynamic uh, kind of radical uh, way of living that people are attracted to. What would you say to uh, a group of pastors that you're meeting with who are really coming to this stage with a lot of fear and concern about what's happening, uh, not just to the church, but they look at the culture and say that those are all negative signs of, of moving away from yeah. faith. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And it comes up a lot. And a couple of things. Um, my heart really goes out to, to pastors in full-time ministry. I mean, they are under a lot of pressure. They're under institutional pressure. They're under financial pressure. I talk with pastors all the time who are on the verge of losing their buildings mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how they're going to keep the lights on. It's, it's a really difficult time to be a pastor at the mm-hmm. moment. And so my heart really goes out to them. Um, in terms of what you said about kind of losing Christianity and kind of comparing us to Europe and probably Western Europe really in particular. Um, I, I, I just don't think that's ever going to happen for us. Um, as someone who studied this a little bit, uh, religion, um, sorry, Europe is, has, is on a completely different trajectory than the U.S. and always has been. Um, there's, uh, quite a few cultural, political, um, you know, institutional systematic reasons um, over the past couple hundred years that have led them to a more secular humanist society Mm -hmm. in which church buildings have become museums. And that is not the American story. And so I just don't see us ending that way. Um, Because of our current, our current political climate is unfortunately really also wrapped up in our religious climate. And um, it's changing the face of Christianity in America drastically. And so Um, I think at the end of this big mess that we seem to be in, um, Christianity might not look so much like Christianity, and we're going to have to rethink and renew and reconfigure a lot, and um, we should all be anticipating those conversations because they're going to have to happen soon, but I don't think it's going to be a thing where where it passes away uh, completely Mm. and entirely, so. Yeah, that's... That's hopeful, and that's yeah. and I, I think you're right, and I think that um, on a grand picture, you know, doing the work of God and, and being faithful to His calling, whether it's in full-time ministry or to share your own story to your friend and neighbor, I think God uses that um, in ways that uh, we can't always see, in ways that we uh, necessarily shouldn't doubt so much that God is going to work, you know? Yeah. I've heard people say things, and it's I don't know if it's always said in a negative tone, but it's a little bit worrisome they say that in 20 years, China would be the most Christian country in the world, you know, and uh, just because they have so many people and the way that Christianity is growing there. Sure. And they say that almost as like, oh man, it was really cool when that was America was the largest Christian country in the world, but I don't see that as a negative. That's amazing that that a, a culture, another country with so many people could become the, the home of the most Christians in one specific country in the world, I think is an incredible Especially story. when it's in illegal, Correct. <laughs> incredibly right. difficult to, right. to be 
be a Christian. And I'm not going to say that's because of yeah. the work of the American church, but the American church can at least um, probably feel confident that they had a part to play in that, whether it's mission work or, you know, training training leaders, church leaders in, in those countries. And I think that um, uh, in some way, um, we shouldn't fear if we, if we pass on the church from not just uh, American-centric Christianity, but just pass on the torch from the Christian institutions that we have now mm-hmm. to the next stage of the Christian institutions and the next stage of church leaders and let them uh, lead the future of the church in the way that makes the most sense for that context. Yeah. I mean, when people talk about um, other countries being fast growing and I mean, America is arguably, you know, the most religious Western country in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, our kind of Quaker Puritan heritage and um, kind of the quote-unquote faith of the forefathers. And I don't know if you've ever read um, Greg Boyd's book, Myth of a Christian Nation. Mm-hmm. You know, just this idea that we were, you know, formed as a Christian nation. That's quite debatable and quite arguable, but he really challenges that premise in his book. Um, it was written probably like 20 years ago now. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just think the U.S. is so religious, not always in the best way, mm, right. <laughs> um, that I just don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, but like I said, uh, it it will need to change. It will need to look different. And if Christianity goes away because our Christian buildings go away, then it really there was really no dimensionality to it. I hope it goes away then, um, because that means uh, that it was pretty superficial hmm. and uh, didn't have much depth to offer anyway. If it goes away based on our, you know, church buildings and properties and things like that, um, you know, and and maybe we need to reconstruct something new. I don't know. Yeah. It's extreme, but. Yeah. Um, before we end, I have a yeah. question. What mm-hmm. advice, um, so let, let's say uh, we have someone who's listening to the mm-hmm. show that w- w- they work in ministry or they really feel like, you know, God uh, wants them to do um, some work, you know, doing outreach, but but they're wondering if they're being innovative enough. They're wondering if they're considering the context of the culture around them enough or are mm-hmm. they just doing uh, more church as usual. Um, how could they begin the process of kind of an internally researching and dialoguing about how they can possibly begin to do ministry in in a new way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, we have processes in place for that. And so I would say we would love to work with them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Very much so. Um, You know, you can check out our our different curricula at hatcherela.com. We run the cohorts, the Certificate in Spiritual Entrepreneurship cohorts online um, with live lectures. Uh, Three times a year we run those cohorts. um, And we can have as many people as want to be in those Mm -hmm, cohorts. mm -hmm. And then the phase two coaching and training is pretty limited because of the time it requires. But um, I think just getting your feet wet with you know, the idea of innovating both theology and model. Hmm. I think innovating the model is something that is fairly familiar to people. Um, But innovating theology, innovating essentially our God constructs um, is very scary to people. Mm -hmm. And people usually get, if they're not open to it, they get very, very defensive because you're not just, you know, you're, you're not just innovating some, piece of something somewhere. I mean, usually uh, when you ask people to rethink their theologies and if they're still serving purposes that are meaningful, um, you're ask, you know, it, it, it throws them into a little bit of an, of an identity crisis mm-hmm. because they've built their entire life premise on who they know as God. And so if that can change, that can sometimes be a problem. But um, I'll just tell a quick story. Um, I was working with a pastor recently 
She's really fabulous, and she is uh, looking to launch a ministry for a group she's identified as um, intimate partner abuse, okay. which are sexual abuse victims that range past the traditional um, you know, uh, idea of perpetrator. Right. So it opens that group up wider. And we were talking about um, what it means to innovate theological constructs, and uh, she started talking to me about the atonement. And, of course, there's so many atonement theories that are <laughs> yeah, yeah. so tired. Um, and I thought that's kind of where she was going with this. Um, but she didn't. She went somewhere totally different and totally knocked me off my feet and totally surprised me. And I'm like, yes, that is why we do that. And she was telling me that there is, you know, in no way, shape, or form can she do ministry and talk about a situation in which a parent turn their back on a child mm. and left that child for dead after being abused and violated and beaten and mm. raped and falsely accused and falsely imprisoned right. and you know um you know where they're completely deserted by all their friends and everyone who loved them and and the the father or the parent figure is literally turning their back when that parental figure could have just snapped their fingers right. and and saved that child and didn't that hits way too close for home and it would be triggered uh, they'd be trauma triggered across the board sure. so now her task is to tell a new parable mm. um about the reality of jesus and people's lives not using the cross yeah, yeah. <laughs> not using the central defining event um yeah. of time space history and certainly christianity um but she does it for the sake of the people that she is trying to serve and love and minister to and whose lives she's trying to make better so that and that that's what the future is all about. I would right. say maybe perhaps telling new parables. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate your time for being yeah, on the show. Absolutely, thank you for it's having me. It's been a lot of fun. The best place for people to find out more is hatcherylla.com. Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, we'll uh, I'll send you there, and hopefully, you guys can uh, check it out and learn more. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Bye. Bye.